Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to all the serve team leaders out there and to everybody in the room. We love you all so much. Our pastors love you too. Um, you all know this. We all have heard it. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but as we go, so goes the church. So you all, everyone that is listening, you are the ones who lead the way. You are the ones who are building this church. And I'm just so thankful to have incredible pastors in our life, Pastor Earl Nonika. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be on this journey. Thank you for all the hours y'all pour out every single week, uh, all the moments we don't even know about, the people that you have poured in, all the things. I mean, I hear it. I see it. So thank you for modeling it so well for all of us. Love you all so much. But we've been in this law, uh, in the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership for 845 weeks now. Uh, no, it's been like six, 15, 16 weeks, so we are almost done, like four weeks left, and I have the honor of sharing today the law of the picture, the law of the picture, okay? So in 1842, in 1842, okay, there's this man by the name of J.M.W. Turner. This man was built a little bit different, all right? He, I mean, I, he, something was wrong with him a little bit, all right? <laughs> He's a painter. He was a painter, okay? So if you don't Google it right now, but if you Google it, he's got some famous paintings out there. Um, but one in particular is like uh, one that is really known throughout the world and is actually in the European Museum. It's priceless. You can't buy this thing. Um, it's there. Um, but this man, in order to get this picture, he wanted to paint a storm, Okay, he wanted to paint a storm, but he didn't want to paint a storm just from the observation from the, the shore or from what someone else told them the storm was like or anything like that. So he went to some sailors and he says, will you take me out to sea in the middle of a storm? And they were like, man, I don't know about this. And they're like, no, come on, come on, come on. Let's do it. So he talked some sailors into it. Not only did he talk the sailors into it, but he said, okay. When you get me out there, I want you to tie me to the mast of the ship. Because I know when the storm gets bad enough, I will want to leave and not be a part of what is happening in the moment. So the sailors agreed and tied him to the mast of the ship and sailed him out to sea so that he could capture the storm um, that he wanted to capture. And he comes back and he paints this magnificent, uh, uh, this funny um, I don't know how you become a picture critic, but picture critics called it chaos. But somehow he got sailors in the room and they said, no, that's really what a storm looks like right there. That's, that's exactly what it looks like. And so comes the uh, famous painting, the steamboat off a of harbor's mouth. Why am I telling you this? He was willing to go through it so that we could see it. He was willing to go through it so we could see it. He didn't want to give us a counterfeit picture of something else that someone else told him about. He wanted to say, no, I want to live this moment right here. I want to breathe the moment. I want to feel the moment. I'm willing to go in it so that the world can see it. And I want you to know here at Shoreline City, we are not painting pictures from the side of the shore. Instead, we're saying, I'm willing to go through it so that everyone else can see it. That is the picture we are painting here at Shoreline. Let me give you a, let me give you a few things uh, uh, some of the things that John Maxwell said. Uh, you can turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22. 
2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22. It said, there was another war between the Philistines and Israel. And David and his men went and fought the Philistines. During one of the battles, David grew tired. A giant named Ishbedanab, who was carrying a bronze spear that weighed about seven and a half pounds and who was wearing a new sword. He had a new sword. He thought he could kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's help, attacked the giant, and killed him. Then David's men made David promise that he would never again go out with them to battle. You are the hope of Israel, and we don't want to lose you, they said. What's interesting about this is if you know the story about this, just a few years before, these same individuals, if you continue to read this chapter, these same individuals were not willing to jump out of the trench and go attack Goliath. We know the story in 1 Samuel 17. Giant comes, uh, Goliath comes, he's taunting, and here comes a scrappy shepherd boy who's like, who is this guy over here defying the army of God? Who is he? And he says, I'll take him. I'll take him. Meanwhile, all of these other people, and some of these people saw their father sitting in the trench, unwilling to go forward to attack the giant. But this man named David got up and said, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. And because of his willing to go through it, everyone else later on, when they were out here attacking all kinds of giants with new swords and giants that were bigger than Goliath, they said, wait, we can do this too. David, you don't need to go any further. You are the hope of Israel. I need you to sit back. I got this now. I want you to know, everybody in this room, if we will be the ones to jump out of the trench, everyone else is watching, and one day they're going to say, hey, wait, I can do this a little bit better. And that is the goal right there. It's like if we can get them to be a little bit better and carry it a little bit further, that is the win, painting a picture for other people to follow. There's four, uh, four modeling insights that John Maxwell said. And uh, number one says, the most valuable gift a leader can give is being a good example. What's interesting when you think about Saul and David, Saul is the king right now. He is the one that is actually supposed to be leading the way. He should be the one that's out front saying, hey, we got this. We can step up. In this moment, though, Saul, wait, where am I at? Yeah, the value, most valuable gift a leader can give is being a good example. Saul, in this moment, he's sitting in the back, and he comes up with an idea. I'll give him a gift. I'll give him a gift. You can have my daughter if someone is willing to go out front. David was like, okay, but I'm still willing to go. I'm still willing to go. David's gift to the world was, I'll go first. So the most valuable gift was I will go first. Saul's gift was, I'll give you my daughter. The daughter did not move anybody. David is the one who moved everybody by his willingness to move first. So number two, number two, we should work on changing ourselves before trying to improve others. This is a big one right here because you can smell a counterfeit when they step in the room. And here at Shoreline, we do not have counterfeits at all. We have individuals who are saying we are the real people because we are living this life. But I want to encourage everybody in the room, and if you're listening online, God, what do you need to do in me? 
what do I need to change? Because I don't want to be a leader who is out here faking it. I want to be a leader who is, I'm out here living it. We're not asking you to be perfect, but we're asking you to, hey, let's work on this. Let's work on this. Saul, it's interesting about Saul too, is Saul was trying to change David to become more like him when David said, I'll go. Here, you can have my armor. You can have my shield. You can have my sword. He was trying to shape him to be like him. Instead of he needed to step back and say, hey, what do I need to work on? What, God, what do you need to do in my life? He was trying to fix somebody else, and he wasn't even fixing them the right way. When we are focused on ourselves and, Lord, would you grow me? Would you help me to be the leader that you have called me to be? I'm telling you, he'll start revealing more and more and more to you of things like, hey, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to work on yourself. So number two was we should work on changing ourselves before trying to improve ourselves. Number three is followers are always watching what you do. Someone told me the other day, um, they said, well, no, they told Mia, I think. They told Mia, they said, all three of you, Cam, you, and Ben all do the same thing. Y'all give a grunt laugh, like a one grunt laugh. And I was like, well, that might be a courtesy laugh. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, but I was just, it was interesting that I'm pretty sure they learned that from me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where I started it. Yeah. But I do know this, that my kids are always watching me. Kids are always seeing what are the parents doing. I'm going to do what my parents are doing. Same goes as leaders. Leaders are always watching all of us. They're trying to figure this culture thing out. They're trying to figure this thing, just Jesus thing out. They're trying to figure out how do I walk this faith out. And if we are walking it out, showing them, hey, this is how you do it. This is what you do. Um, we will have a bunch of leaders doing what we what you do. Um, so followers are always watching what you do. Uh, I mean, even to tie in the David and Goliath and uh, and the other ones, David went first. The leader said, "Okay, if he can do it, I can do it. I'll jump out." And then number four is it's easier to teach what's what's right than to do what's right. There's a saying out there is, uh, that goes something like. Uh, do what I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a famous one that parents use, you know. That is not the model at all that Shoreline City or any parent should be. Instead, we can say, do what I say and do what I do. Yeah. That is the leader that we are. Uh, John Maxwell gave an example. I thought this was really good. He said, he said there's some leaders, there's some leaders that are like, uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, vacation, what, are they, what do you call it? Uh, people who sell vacations. What is it called? Travel Travel agents. They said some leaders are like travel agents. They sell you something they've never have been to. They're like, oh yeah, you should go, you should go here. And if you ask them, have you been here? Like, no, I haven't been here, but I heard it's really great. And he would say, instead, leaders should be like tourist guides. Hey, let me take you. Let me teach you the history. Let me show you the way. Let me show you how they lived. Let me, sh- let me give you the experience that they experienced back then. So leaders, it's easier to teach what's right than to do what's right. So to flip that, practice what you preach. I even, this even challenged me when I was re- rereading through this chapter. I was like, Lord, 
if there's anything that I have been teaching that I am not doing in my own personal life, I need it to be revealed. I I don't want to be that individual. And I'm not perfect at all, but I'm like, Lord, would you reveal it to me? Would you reveal it to me? I want that worked out of me. I don't want to be that leader because I want to be able to teach what's right and do what's right and do what's right. So anyways, here at Shoreline City, we are individuals who paint a clear picture of what it looks like to be a leader, meaning that we will go first. When no one else raises their hand, I got it. I will step up. And if we can all get this in our hearts, I'm telling you, church, this church will explode for the glory of God. People will come and to know Jesus. We will have pl- campuses planted all over the world as we go. So goes the church. Love you all so much. God bless.